In First Chronicles 29, King David tells all the people there. He says, The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. I think that's the message of Greater Things. Greater Things is all about pursuing the opportunities that God has laid at our feet. Um, it's uh, incredible what God has shown us and that our church has the vision and the energy to go pursue these opportunities. I am excited about the Greater Things campaign here. You know, God has given this church a great mission led by the 2020 vision. Generations to come are going to benefit because of what the sacrifice that we made here. Lisa and I are excited about Greater Things. God really blessed our family's involvement back in uh, 2000 at the last campaign. But Greater Things seems like an even greater opportunity. Kim, our girls, and I have been greatly blessed these last 28 years through our being at the Hills. I am very excited about the opportunity that we now have to make a kingdom difference and to bless the generations to come after us. I know these are hard economic times for people, but I even see God working to orchestrate our economic times to help us with greater things. Where else can you put your money these days to get any kind of return? And so He provides greater things as a vehicle where you can just put all of your treasure to get an eternal spiritual reward. One of the reasons I'm excited about Greater Things is because it provides us here at the Hills an opportunity to both set an example for and inspire ch churches and individuals all over the country and even in other parts of the world. So as we go through this campaign season, I just think it's real important that we understand that this is what God has shown us and we have responded by pursuing that vision. We honestly can't think of any place we'd rather be than right here, right now. I just can't wait to see what God's going to do here next. Well, I just have to say that you look marvelous this morning. So it's either because you got an extra hour of sleep or because you just cannot wait to hear this sermon. Either way, I'm glad that you're here. We are in uh, the final lap of the most important campaign in the history of our church uh, to build universities, to support missionaries all over the world, to expand our influence right here in Jerusalem, right here on this campus, uh, to do greater things. And uh, it's a time to talk about sacrifice. Now, every religion calls for sacrifice. It's the heart of what it means to be a religious person. It doesn't matter what your tradition is. For example, maybe you've heard the story of the Catholic priest and the Jewish rabbi. And they were at a July 4th picnic, and they were friends. They'd known each other for a long time. Well, the priest began to tease the rabbi because some lady had brought her prize-winning ham, and Orthodox Jews don't eat pork. So the priest began to say, it's too bad you can't have this ham. This is the best tasting meat I've ever put in my mouth. It is so good and you can't have it? Why? I don't get that. When are you going to break down? When are you finally going to try some ham? And the rabbi smiled and said, on the day of your wedding. <laughs> Go home and explain that to your kids. 
Because a religion that requires you to give up nothing is really no religion at all. Well, what does Christianity ask us to sacrifice everything? Everything. Every part of your life, every arena of your life comes under the lordship of Jesus. The God of the Bible is asking us to be living sacrifices. Now, to be a living sacrifice includes more than just financial stewardship, but it could never exclude financial stewardship. And here's why. Because you can fake almost everything else about your walk with God. You can fake worship. You can fake prayer. You can even fake Bible study. But one thing is very hard to fake is generosity. You either give or you don't. It's hard to fake it. And so we are going to study now the story of one of the greatest capital campaigns in history. It it, it makes ours look like a pittance. It's the greatest capital campaign in the Bible because we're going to find out you don't fake generosity. And what we're going to hear is a great call to greater commitment. Open your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapters 28 and 29. We're going to read a rather large section of Scripture today and every verse is going to be important. Here's the context. David wants to share with the nation his plans for a temple for God. And so he calls together all of the leaders of the nation. If you were a government leader, if you were a military leader, if you were a person of any influence, you were called to this meeting. And in 1 Chronicles 28, starting in verse 2, we read these words. King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God. And I made plans to build it, but God said to me, You are not to build a house for my name, because you are a warrior and have shed blood. Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, chose me from my whole family to be king over Israel forever. He chose Judah as leader, and from the house of Judah he chose my family, and from my father's sons he was pleased to make me king over all Israel, of all my sons, and the Lord has given me many. He has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He said to me, Solomon, your son is the one who will build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever if he is unswerving in carrying out my commands and laws as is being done at this time. So now I charge you in the sight of all Israel and of the assembly of the Lord and in the hearing of our God, be careful to follow all the commands of the Lord your God that you may possess this good land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind for the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a temple as a sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the portico of the temple, its building, its storerooms, its upper parts, its inner rooms, the placement of atonement. He gave him the plans of all that the Spirit had put in his mind For the courts of the temple of the Lord and for all the surrounding rooms, for the treasures of the temple of God and for the treasures for the dedicated 
things. Isn't that interesting? He gave him plans the Spirit had put in his mind. Let's continue down in verse 19. David says, all this I have in writing from the hand of the Lord upon me. And he gave me understanding in all the details of the plan. And David also said to Solomon his son, Be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. Now that's great. He's a motivator. He's got a great plan. But here's the thing. We said it last week. Salvation's free. Ministry's expensive. And not one single stone is going to be laid in that temple till somebody raises some money. So what's David going to do? Chapter 29. Then King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man but for the Lord God. With all my resources, I've provided for the temple of my God. Gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise stones of various colors, all kinds of stone and marble, all of these in large quantities. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God over and above everything I provided for this holy temple. 3,000 talents of gold, 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of walls and buildings, for the gold work, for the silver work, for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Now, who is willing to consecrate himself to the Lord today? David says, I'm all in. I'm not just talk, I'm walk. I am given sacrificially out of my personal treasure to see this happen. What are you going to do? Then the leaders of the families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. They gave toward the work of the temple of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, 100,000 talents of iron. Any who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jehiel the Gershonite. The people rejoiced. At the willing response of their leaders. For they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced greatly. We mentioned that next Sunday night we're going to have a time of rejoicing. We're going to come together and we are going to celebrate. And I'll say more about that in a moment. But let me just draw from this story what I think are transferable principles. I recognize we're building something different here. But there are in that capital came campaign some timeless principles we can apply to what we're doing right now and greater things and here's the first that planners stay in tune with the holy spirit i know it's popular today for some people to say well i just don't like organized religion but if you have a disdain for structure you didn't get it from reading scripture god is not a god of disorder and living in step with the spirit is not inconsistent with following the steps of a plan. Here's what David said. He, God, gave me the plans of all that the Spirit had put on my mind. And if you read the verses we skipped, you will find they are very detailed plans. Evidently, God cared very specifically about matters in the temple. Later, David said, All this I have in writing from the hand of the Lord upon me. 
See, David's boldness as a leader issued from his own conviction. He was being led by the Spirit of God. I'll give you another example. When Nehemiah finds out that the walls of Jerusalem are down, the Bible says for four months he fasted and prayed, fasted and prayed about that dilemma. Well, one day the king of Persia says to Nehemiah, why are you downcast? What's going on? And Nehemiah told him, and the king said, what can I do? And Nehemiah said, well, here's a plan. You see, all those months while he's praying and fasting, God is building inside him a plan of what to do when the door is opened. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 16.3. If you commit to the Lord whatever you do, He will establish your plans. In other words, God Himself will help you come up with a plan if it's to honor God. You know, we have a plan at our church. We call it our 2020 vision. We didn't get it off the internet. We didn't go to a conference and copy it. It was birthed in prayer and in fasting by the leaders of this church. We believe God gave us a plan. So it's not about asking God to honor our will. It's about expecting God to bless our thoughtful eagerness to accomplish His will. Because I believe as long as our plan is to be led by God, God will lead our plans. So it's a good thing that we have plans if those plans came from staying in tune with the Holy Spirit. Here's a second transferable principle. That finishers remember the work is done for God and with God. David said, I had it in my heart to build a house for God. This is for God. Now, when you believe what you're doing is for God, what's going to happen? You're going to be eager to sacrifice. You're going to show perseverance. You're going to have a strong commitment to excellence. Second rate, mediocre is not going to cut it if you believe you're doing it for God. Later, Solomon would say about the temple in 2 Chronicles 2, the temple I'm going to build will be Great, because our God is greater than all other gods. If the work is for God, then no task is too menial. If the work is for God, then no contribution is too small. Craig Barnes is a minister in Washington, D.C., says he did a funeral not long ago for a man that in the funeral, he said, helped design the 747 airplane. Well, after the funeral, his wife said, well, actually... What he did was work on the switch box. For 15 years, he worked on the switch box that would be on the 747 airplane. But she said, when that first plane took off, nobody was more proud than my husband. Because he knew he had something to do in creating something magnificent. And that's how you feel when you know you're doing it for. God And what you find out when you're sacrificing for God is in some ways you're serving with God. David said to Solomon, now son, you be strong and you be courageous and do the work and don't be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord God is with you and he won't fail you or forsake you until the work is finished. When you're doing it for God, you find out you're doing it with God. You find out in some way you experience God's Nearness and presence. 
So, for example, this week I get an email from a, one of our families, and, and, and the husband had decided on two amounts to give to greater things. One, he said, made him happy, and one made his stomach sick. So he knew the one that made his stomach sick was the one God wanted him to do. So he decided in his heart to give that amount. So guess what happens? His boss calls him in, says, you get a bonus. And not only do you get a bonus, it's bigger than what I plan to give you. Do you want to guess how big the bonus was? Exactly the amount that had made his stomach sick. Now, I'm not saying his story is going to be your story. I'm saying that in some way, just like he did, you're going to find out God didn't just for you. God is with you when you're for God. That when you make it your aim in your life to show off God, God shows up. And so, we're not going to look back someday and say, look what we did. We're going to look back and say, look what God did. And He let us be a part of it. That's why we finish, because this is for God, and this is with God. Here's transferable principle number three, that leaders inspire through personal sacrifice. You notice how public David went with his personal financial commitment. You notice in the course of this campaign, I have mentioned several individuals who've made very dedicated sacrifices to be a part of greater things. And I got a question that I thought was very fair. Doesn't the Bible say in Matthew 6 that you should do your giving in secret? So why are you giving testimonies of people who are giving? I'll tell you why. Go back and read Matthew 6 and ask yourself, what's the context? In that same passage, Jesus says, when you pray, don't pray in public, pray in secret. Is Jesus condemning public prayers when elsewhere the Bible tells us to pray in public? Of course not. The context of that whole passage in Matthew 6 is don't do your acts of piety for men to applaud you. Do them for God to reward you. See, the fact is later Jesus is going to go to the temple and he's going to watch a woman give publicly. He's going to notice exactly how much she gave. He's going to talk about it and he's going to praise her to inspire other people. And you find this all through the New Testament. It's kind of like, you know, when the rooster went into the in-house with an ostrich egg and said, I just want to show you what they're doing in other places. <laughs> you, you give examples of what others are doing to inspire. So in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul says to the Corinthians, hey, let me tell you about what the Macedonians are doing even though they have great poverty. Or Acts chapter 4, the Bible says people would give, they'd bring their offerings and place them very publicly at the feet of the elders. It even names a guy named Barnabas and even tells you what he gave. Actually, his real name was Joseph. But he sold a field and it encouraged the church and so they renamed him Barnabas, son of encouragement. Because giving inspires, but only if you know about it. So, this past week, I was so inspired when I heard about Britton New. Now, Britton New grew up in this church. He's one of our young single men, just got out of college. He loves his church because his church has blessed him for 20 years. You know what he did? He walked into the fifth grade Bible class. Now, we have 75 fifth graders. And every one of them has a milk carton that can hold up to about $100 in coins. And he told those fifth graders, 
I will match everything you give. The total of the whole class, whatever you give, I will match it to encourage you to give. Where is he going to find that money? Well, he's been saving money because he's got a 13-year-old truck with 200,000 miles on it. And that's the money he's going to use to encourage those fifth graders. When I heard that, i got to tell you, I was inspired. I was inspired when I heard about the high school senior in our church. And they asked their parents, instead of the $900 for my school senior trip, could you give me that money? And could I add 100 of my money to it? Because I'd like to give $1,000 to greater things instead of going my senior trip. When I hear stories like that, I'm encouraged. Somebody taught you to be generous. Stewardship requires mentoring. Bill Smith says when he was a boy during the Depression, his daddy took him to the men's business meeting of the church. Only about eight men in the whole church. And their little country church wasn't doing so well. And someone said, you know, if we could just have regular preaching, it would help. And somebody says, well, I know someone that would come, but it would take $15 a week. And from the back of the room, Bill heard his daddy say, well, I'll pledge $5 a week if you guys come up with the other 10 And Bill was stunned because he knew his daddy made $10 a week and had four children to feed. At one, his first thought was, my daddy's crazy. His second thought was, the church must be the most important thing in the world if my daddy will do that. Somebody taught you to be generous. You see, stewardship requires mentoring, and mentoring requires leadership. It says the people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. Isn't that how it ought to be? Because today sometimes it's the other way around. Have you ever noticed the people give and the leaders rejoice? But in the Bible, the leaders give and the people rejoice. And so... A couple of weeks ago, I asked our leaders, our our ministers and our elders to make their personal promise to greater things. And we've all made that commitment of what we're going to do as your leaders. We have, I think, about 20, 21 elders and about 20, 22 ministers. So a little over 40 families. And here's what we've promised to greater things that I hope it will encourage you. We have promised $2,219,900. We have... Our 40-something families of leaders, we've pledged over 22% of the goal ourselves. Why? Because we're all in. Here's my point. We're not asking you to take us to greater things. We're asking you to follow us. Because we can't all make equal gifts. But we can all make equal sacrifices. Here's principle number four. Builders can see beyond their own generation. The song the praise team sang before this message was a song birthed out of a question that's so popular today. What's in it for me? What's in it for me is no way to build a life and it's certainly no way to build a church. Think about this. David sacrificed for a temple He would never see. Out of his own personal treasure, he gave conservatively what they think is over $60 million to a house of worship he would never walk in. Earlier in 1 Chronicles 22, 
It says, David said, my son Solomon is young and experienced and the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all the nations. And therefore, I'll make preparations for it. So David made extensive preparations before his death. The fact is, it was called Solomon's temple, but it was David's vision. And it would stand as a house of worship to David's God for 365 years. And generations would be blessed by the vision and a sacrifice of a man that never saw it. Later, Paul would say that David served God's purpose in his own generation. You know how he did that? He served God's purpose in his own generation by living and laying down his life For the next ones. I heard a a story about a native pastor in the Philippines some years ago. And he had very little money. But he knew that sacrifice was the way to follow Christ. And so he had heard about an accident. And he went to the local hospital to give blood. Well as it turned out he had kind of a rare blood type. And they didn't need his blood. But they stored it. Sometime later his own daughter was hit by a vehicle. And by the time he got to the hospital, he found out that they had used the blood he had given to save her life. His offering saved the next generation. That's what builders understand. You heard me say last week, I'm sacrificing to make this a better house of worship, realizing the next preacher will stand in here a lot longer than I will. I'm giving to build a university in Africa that will reach its zenith and reach the most students long after I'm gone. I'm believing that when I invest in the kingdom of God, I invest in things that bear fruit and actually add to my own heavenly portfolio even after I'm buried. Because here's the thing. I want to finish my race well. Been going around the track with Jesus a long time now. I don't know how many more laps I have left, but I want to finish my race well. And here's what I know. You don't run a good race by looking backwards, wishing you could go back to how it used to be. You run a good race by looking straight ahead and looking at what's next. Builders can see beyond their own generation. And here's the last principle. Givers know the real aim. Is building hearts with greater commitment. And if you would keep reading our text, you would see that following that rejoicing, there broke out a spontaneous worship service. And David and the people began to sing and to praise and to pray and to fall down on their faces before God. Because you see, David knew he wasn't just building a house of worship. By calling on the people to sacrifice, he was building worshipers For the house. He was building hearts with greater commitment. Because the heart of the matter is always the matter of the heart. So look at what he would pray later in that chapter. Verses 17 and 18. I know my God that you test the heart. And are pleased with integrity. And all these things I've given willingly and with honest intent. And now I've seen with joy how willingly your people who I hear have given to you. Now listen, David knows that's not just the goal. That's the means to the goal. When people give, when people sacrifice, what's the real goal? Lord, the God of our father, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts 
of your people forever. Keep their hearts loyal to you. The heart of this campaign has been the conviction that God was going to do a mighty work in our hearts. That we weren't going to raise dollars so much as we were going to raise disciples. It's happening every single day. My email box is filled with more and more stories. Little Kayla Yao is going to sell her dollhouse that she still plays with because she wants to give something she really loves and matters to greater things. She'll remember that all her life. And Tatum Gradke heard about a dentist that would buy Halloween candy. So she took her Halloween candy. He was paying $1 a pound and she got $12 (laughs) to give to greater things. And Aubrey Cox found out about the garage sale and went out and built 14 benches to sell. And Jim Reese gave his 1984 Corvette to the auction. And Debbie Poss sold the piano that she has played ever since she was 16 years old. And the stories just keep coming in. And then let me just tell you what happened last week. I'm preaching in the late service, the 1130 service. And I'm getting toward the end of my sermon. And as I'm preaching, a man that I don't know starts walking down the aisle. And he had gone into the kitchen and he had gotten this big old bucket. And he placed it right down here in front of my feet, pulled out his wallet, pulled out several hundred dollar bills, threw them in the bucket, turned around and said to the audience, come on, and walked away. Now I'm still preaching. Now... Some people thought I staged that. No, Jonathan would have staged that. But if you know me at all, you know I don't stage things like that. People stepped up. In fact, watch this video. People stepped up and they just started coming down and putting money in the bucket. I wanted to say, hey, I'm preaching on generosity. Y'all stop bringing money up here. But they couldn't stop. And during the song, people just kept coming all the way from the top, from the back. Young people and old people. People that weren't planning to do anything. It was almost as if they were saying, we can't wait. We are so excited about this. Why can't we just start giving now? And before that service was over, $5,400 in cash had been put in this bucket. And folks... They know that the big offering is next week. They just wanted to till the soil and plant the seed and get things going. And by the way, I'm going to leave the bucket down here. (laughs) And this is why next Sunday night we're going to have a celebration service. I didn't stage that either. (laughs) Let me tell you why. Because... Because we're not going to celebrate so much how much money we raised. We're going to celebrate what God has been doing in the hearts of people in this church these last ten weeks that they will never forget. God raised our commitment to greater things, to eternal things. Remember this. David never saw the temple. But he did dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so will a lot more people because of what we're going to do. Would you pray with me, please? And so, God, I'm so thankful 
in a world that knows nothing but how to be selfish and self-absorbed, you have called a people with greater vision, with greater courage, who live their life to invest in greater things. And so, Father, I pray now this next week as we get ready for this big day, you would rob Satan of all attempts to steal our joy, to, to fill us with fear, to make us think only about self. Instead, God, like the people that crossed the Jordan, fill us with tremendous anticipation of what we're about to see and do. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all be standing. It all begins by offering your life. If you've never surrendered to Christ, if you've never been baptized into Him, you need to come do that right now because we are calling you to serve a truly great God. Let's stand and let's sing.